This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And then I hope that you'll also remember that you picked a good person, that they're not perfect either. We Mm. usually have that fundamental attribution error of I'm a little healthier and they're a little less healthy. And we can just acknowledge that. You know what? They're a good person too with their own story. And let's rebuild a healthier narrative that, hey, today I'm going to be the one to lead this, but I'm going to be so benefiting from it too. So I think that helps us to have that courage to say, this is for me too. I know you are doing the best that you can right now. Your relationships matter to you. You are important. And yet over time, we get stuck. We get lost or we stop showing up as our true self. We get hung up on the stories we tell ourselves, the comparisons, or feeling like we are not good enough. I'm Not Your Shrink is a podcast aimed at helping you feel connected to yourself, to others, and to live a life that is in line with what matters most to you. I'm Dr. Tracy Dalglish, clinical psychologist and couples therapist. I bring you clinical knowledge and evidence-based research, experiences of sitting in the therapist chair and being a wife and mother to talk about everyday issues we all face to help you change the dialogue in your life. Let's dive in. We are approaching the final weeks of 2023, and I can't believe that we're already entering the last month of the year. It has been a fantastic year of podcasting with you, and I have had so many amazing guests, and we've reached milestones this year. Our 100th episode, over 750,000 downloads. I am just so grateful. This is a great time of year for us to jump into strengthening our relationship because I know this season is busy. And today's episode really comes at a good time to remind us to become a we, to stay on the same team. I'm getting your messages around trying to deal with your in-laws, around the high mental load for preparing for the holidays, or trying to communicate your needs only to be met with a partner who shuts down or criticizes back or says things like, just tell me what to do. If you're looking for more support to tackle these issues, I want you to consider one of two things. First, I want you to grab my book. I didn't sign up for this. This is a great resource. And I'm hearing from so many men that they are also benefiting from reading this book. And so many couples have joined me for this. I think it'll make a great gift as well for the people you love on your holiday list. But here's the other piece. If you're looking for more individualized support, consider joining me in my program, Be Connected. In speaking with someone in the program recently, they told me just how much the program felt tailored to what it is that they were needing and that it deep dived on some of the specific topics they were needing to address. And the best thing about Be Connected is that you get to do it in the comfort of your own home and you do it at your own pace. And I have multiple ways of learning with me through videos, through guides, and my favorite, which is the group coaching call. 
I encourage you not to wait until after the holiday season, because here's what I know. If you don't do anything now, nothing is going to change. And I want you to feel like a team moving into this difficult season ahead. To learn more, go to drtracyd.com forward slash join. Today's guest is going to help us with another tool that we can continue to use in our relationships to build connection and to feel like a team. And this is about using the Enneagram. Krista Hardin is the host of the popular Enneagram and Marriage podcast. And in addition to podcasting and writing books, she runs the Enneagram and Marriage Instagram and runs her counseling practice, Reflections Counseling Center in Lakewood Ranch, Florida. For fun, she co-creates mystery dinner games with her husband. Also, how cool is that? And most of all, she loves spending time with her family. Krista earned a Master's of Arts degree specializing in clinical psychology from Wheaton College in Illinois and also has a degree in communications. She's married with three children. Let's go into today's episode. Krista, I'm so thrilled to finally have you on the podcast. As we said before jumping into our recordings today, we have been trying to coordinate this for years, actually, as we've been connected on Instagram. So it is such a gift to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Tracy. It's an honor. I love you. I love your IG. You are just a treasure. Thank you so much. Okay, you have released a new book called The Enneagram and Marriage. And I am so excited for the listeners here to learn more about the Enneagram from you, but mostly just to jump into how we can use this tool for ourselves and for our relationships. And so for those listening, please go check out this book. I have the links in the show notes. But why don't we start with your why? Because this is always one of my favorite places to start. Why why the Enneagram? How did you stumble across it? And why did you write this book? Thank you so much, Dr. Tracy, for that warm welcome. I'm so grateful. And my book came of the desire in couples I saw to truly understand one another. And that started with Wes and I and uh, my first Enneagram couple, because I noticed what a good tool it was for us. And I wouldn't have given it a second look, but a good friend of mine who is a gifted therapist, one of my favorite therapist friends said to me, Krista, give it another look. It's a deeper tool than you might have initially thought. And that was great that she said that because I knew her work was very grounded. And she said, I think it would be really a gift for couples. And so I gave it that second look and I have never looked away because as I mentioned, my husband Wes and I were able to find our types. There's nine types for those who don't know. We were able to see the basic gifts and the basic struggles. And then we were able to find compassion for one another because this tool doesn't just talk about behaviors like most of the clinical tools I've used in the past for assessment, it goes deeper into why we do what we do, which is so important for couples, as you know. Yeah. And and I think that is something that we really need in our healing and our growth and our development is to understand what's the why. And sometimes people do that in the sense of going back into childhood and earlier experiences, which is helpful, but then also to understand these parts of ourselves 
and how they show up, how they show up, and we'll talk more about this, but how they show up in times where we feel healthy and connected, but then also how they show up under times of stress and duress, right? Is that fair to say that they're different? Yeah, that's true. It's not just about childhood. It's also about how we like to engage the world now. And sometimes it's very healthy. And then when we're dysregulated, it can show up in really difficult ways for our spouse and the rest of our loved ones to really be able to tolerate us. So just knowing what our vices are and seeing them a little bit more plainly can help. Of course, you never want to use the tool to box you in and make you feel like you can't be expansive. How did Wes respond to it? I'm I'm always really curious to meet other couples, especially when the one partner is a couples therapist in, in my wheelhouse with me, because I know it can be difficult sometimes for partners to jump on board, especially when we are the therapists. Yes. Well, Wes had been through all of my assessments in the clinical grad school years. And so he was already like, oh, no, another one. And then when he did the Enneagram test, it was uh, sometimes a test isn't as good as reading through the types and sitting with them, but it was an accurate read of him. And he's a type one and it's seen as the improver or perfectionist. And as soon as he saw it, he pushed the computer away and he goes, I'm a perfectionist. And you could just tell he was so annoyed and so upset, which is actually part of his type in that sense of, you know, the justice or even the injustice of being found out. So it was really cute. So Wes and I need to have dinner together and talk about (laughs) our responses to that. Because for listeners, I am also a one and I am a through and through one that I remember taking the test and saying, well, that's not the best type. That's not the perfect type. So I better take it again. (laughs) It really felt like it. I'm pushing the computer away. Stop holding that up in front of me. I want to be the caregiver as a primary. <laughs> and I love how we can be more expansive that you and he both have such a helper. What we call in the Enneagram word just for a shortcut is wing. So you probably are both one wing twos. And so you have such a strong behavioral feature to be that helper giver um, as well as, oh my gosh, I am so thankful for our ones out there because our ones find the things that are wrong and they help us to make them better. And Mm. in mental health care and healthcare, oh my gosh, is that a gift to the rest of us? Yes, right. Okay. So I know a lot of people will say, uh, I'm an INJT, if I'm going to get that right, but it's the Myers-Briggs. Many people have walked through the Myers-Briggs. I remember learning it in grad school back in 2006, and I know things have evolved and changed, but I'm curious with the Enneagram specifically, what is it that you prefer about it over other systems or what does it give us that maybe others don't in your experience with assessments? I think that it's a bit more sleek and elegant, even the way that you were having to walk through the Myers-Briggs tells us it's not conducive to real growth and integration as a couple, Mm -hmm. unless you're in this high level of like, I've studied it for years, whereas the Enneagram really is, it can go deep, but it's one type. And you can truly look at how I struggle, how I grow, how I stretch at one afternoon sitting, you know, just a few minutes really could change your life. A lot of people look at theirs and say, wow, this read me like a book. And I just, you know, took a paragraph to read. So it's just, I think what we need in couples work is practicality. I used to shove all my Gottman forms at my couples and they would laugh. Like I've got five kids. I don't have time for this lady. Uh, And, you know, just to be able to say, oh, but what we could do is expedite our work a little bit by looking at our type, finding it out, and then seeing what the types are like together. To me, that just helps our couples work to go a bit faster. 
Support for today's episode comes from Loop Earplugs. For so long after having children, I kept wondering why I was easily overwhelmed and felt like an angry mom. The noise from the kids, the dog barking, and the sounds around me from everyday life. But I now understand that I'm not an angry mom, and instead, my nervous system gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, which is why I've been turning more and more to my loop earplugs to help me stay more regulated and engaged with the family. I'm using Loop Engage to help dampen the sound around me, and these Loop earplugs allow me to still be with every beat and conversation. I still hear Greg. I can still hear the kids. I love that they are so comfortable and they come with eight silicone ear tips to ensure the right fit for you. The best part for me is that I take them everywhere with me. They are proving the test of time and not to mention they're stylish in my ears. Plus, we love the kids versions, which we've been able to take to the movies for our kids. I'm so excited that Loop Earplugs is offering you, my community, a discount so that you too can tackle that overstimulation while still being engaged with the activities and people you love. Visit loopearplugs.com and use my code loop times Dr. Tracy for 10% off your order. That's L-O-O-P-X-D-R-T-R-A-C-Y for 10% off your order. Support for today's episode comes from Cozy Earth. Picture this, you're planning your summer getaway, what to eat, where to visit, what to do, and where to sleep. But what about the comfort of home while you're away? This is something I'm constantly considering because if I'm uncomfortable in my clothing, then I'm more irritated and then things overall just don't feel great. And this is where Cozy Earth comes in. Right now, you can get 35% off with code SHRINK at checkout. Cozy Earth isn't just about creating luxurious bedding and loungewear. It's about elevating and transforming your entire travel experience. Their bedding is so soft and buttery smooth, it beats any hotel sheets I've ever slept in. And Cozy Earth's bedding comes in these adorable totes, making it travel-friendly and hassle-free. These have been my go-to sheets for well over a year now, and they are a must no matter where you go. Plus, their loungewear is perfect for those long flights or car rides. Their temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew ensures that you stay cool and comfy on those long flights. I know not everybody is hitting the road or the skies this summer, and that's totally okay. You can also create your own sanctuary at home, and Cozy Earth has everything you need to make every moment feel more blissful. Trust me, once you experience the comfort and quality of Cozy Earth, you'll never want to go back. My pajamas, the kids keep asking why I'm still wearing them. Visit CozyEarth.com, use my code SHRINK, S-H-R-I-N-K, at checkout to get 35% off. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. There's this piece in here that says, Let's stop looking at our partners as the problem. And we're going to go deeper than communication to start out with. And and we have to look at communication. It's a key element. So even when I work with couples from the attachment perspective, and we're looking at those cycles and those core needs, 
at the end of the day, we still need those communication tools to be able to reach for our partners in a way that invites them to be open and receptive, right? That's foundational work. And the field of couples therapy is forever grateful for the work that the Gottmans have done for us, right? The Gottmans and then also the work of Dr. Sue Johnson with emotionally focused oh. couples therapy, right? Oh. The, the two pillars that really we walk through with couples therapy. I love what you're saying here because it's almost like, and you and I had just talked about this, you're coming into this we-ness. It's the you and me looking at the problem. And if we're sitting together shoulder to shoulder at the dining room table, I can understand that beside me, and I'll use Greg as an example, Greg's my nine and I'm my one. And we don't have to be against each other, but rather who are we as two people sitting at the table? Yes. Oh, I love that, that you each have your unique gifts mm. and you each have your ways of responding to stress and they can rub sometimes, but they can also make a gorgeous marriage mission when you figure out how your types really shine together. So I love that you said we need the foundational tools too, because I think sometimes people who use the Enneagram don't mean to do this, but they're not trained in couples work. And so they don't mm. understand the foundations of self-care or Gottman or I know I did my master's thesis on Sue Johnson's work. It's so important that we integrate uh, these pieces into. So I love that your listeners are getting such good care from you because Enneagram is not a tool that you need to abandon all others for. Mm, I think that is so important. One of the most common things that show up in my community is the question, what do I do when my partner's not on board? Yeah. What what do you recommend to people if their partner says, I don't want to take a test, I'm not interested in this, or maybe even saying, that's not me, I'm not interested? Yeah, I think to honor where they're at, a lot of people bring tools that don't feel very scientific to the relationship. And so I think a lot of people are weary of something that isn't as researched. And I think that the Enneagram is a psychosocial tool that has a lot of centuries of research, but I think any tool has their own, you know, variety to who studied it, where is it going? And so being rigorous to see, do we each believe this would be a good tool to explore together is just a basic respect question to ask of your spouse. And if they don't like it, I think that it's helpful to just do some of your own personal work and let them see you do that work. And if they want to join you, they can. And so versus saying, I found out you're a five, all I'm going to say all day is five, five, five. That can be so grating on a person. And they're like, don't, you know, use person first language. And I really like to remind everybody, please try to honor your partner outside of their type, but also share your stuff. Like, oh, I found out I was a six and that I struggle with excessive analyzing and worry, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, yes, I've been trying to tell you this for years. <laughs> so you might win them over that way. It's so interesting. I had this conversation the other day around resentment and what resentment leads us to do is to point outwards. So when we feel angry and frustrated and resentful in our relationship, we tend to point the finger at the other person. It feels easier and safer in a way to look outwards and to say, you're the problem. If you change, then we would feel differently. And in some ways, it makes sense that we do that because as children, we are egocentric and we need to learn how to step out of that and to see self and other. And that's a really hard practice. But Krista, what you're saying here is so important is that if we're doing this work, shift inwards to then talk about yourself because that, and even 
you know, and, and nobody likes it when their partner's like, oh, yes, of course, you're a perfectionist. You, you know, it shows up every day. But if we can laugh and be playful with it, it does invite our partner to come on board with us rather than the pushing something on them. Oh, I love that. And like you said, be playful with your negative labels, even of yourself to be humble, to say, yes, I know I can grow, but also there's always the good news piece with Enneagram of here's my gifts. And now we can see them more clearly. So it's, it's a robust tool in that way. And it can be very encouraging and uplifting so that spouses can finally be heard and acknowledged for their gifts. I know you cover this in depth in the book. And so everybody's going to get the book afterwards. And I'd love for us to take a high level here of what those types are. Could we do that? So a high level of one, as we've been talking about, is the improver, seeing all the details and really wanting to do what is right. And then we have the type two, who's a giver helper. This person feels like they're really winning when they are serving. It's hard for them to accept help from others, however, and there can be pride. Now with the three, the three is somebody who loves to gloriously achieve and they work so hard to merit the favor of the culture. They're very good at reading a culture, but they also struggle with feelings of shame when they're not producing. Now the type four, interestingly, struggles with shame when they're not unique and creative. So we see our fours as those melancholy artists out there. Our fives are researchers, analysts, and they love to investigate. So you often see them as that fly on the wall character, but they actually stay out sometimes of relationships because they're afraid of interjecting too much of their energy into their space together. They're like, I will not make it. I'm anxious if I push too hard. And that's where we see a lot of our introverts. Now we have our sixes and they're also major thinkers like our investigative fives, but sixes come at it, as I mentioned, a little bit more neurotically with a lot more energy activated than the five. And so they're in the space of their partner. They're coming at them with anxious attachment and they're wanting security more than anything. But they are also very courageous when they're at their best. Now, sevens are joyful enthusiasts and they also love problem solving along with their five and six counterparts. And they love the thinking space, but they really struggle with overdoing and overwhelm. And so they can push their families or themselves too far into exhaustion. Mm. And- The eight is somebody who is a challenger. They also are known for being protective and defensive of their people, but they can overstep boundaries because of their passion and their lust for life and be so big that others get left out or feel like trodden upon. And then lastly, in our marriages, nines are peacemakers. They can see the perspective of every type, but because they're taking in a lot of other perspectives and often they struggle with really being heard in the world, they can develop sloth or an I don't care, laissez-faire attitude. I'm not important enough to interject anyway. So if you can imagine, they're excellent at peacemaking, but peacekeeping is what they end up doing sometimes and and holding back. So for people listening, I had Greg take the Enneagram as well. And he is a nine. And so we are a pair of one and nine. I love that pairing. It's powerful because ones and nines, I mentioned some of the thinking types and analysts. And then I mentioned those dealing with shame. Those are sort of our feelers. 
the ones, eights, and nines. So your pairing are body types, their gut reaction types. They see the world through the five senses. They pick up on visual cues. They are very into justice. And I believe our body types hold a lot of power in that sense of they're doing a lot of changing in the world, whether their take is environment or mental health, whatever their passion project is, they're going to go in for it with zest. And to have two of you with that, oh my gosh, you just have so much powerful energy. I love it. We both describe ourselves as more sensitive. I identify as a highly sensitive person. And then we both see, and Greg will say he's a more sensitive person as well. And then we see that sensitivity in one of our kids. And I can already see that my one child is a one through and through, and a very early one. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. So you can walk that child through a lot of the things you've learned. Mm -hmm. Yes. How to use that perfectionism as a strength and not something as holding us back or shutting us down or getting swallowed up in shame. Right. And I love how you talk about on your platform, compassionate inquiry, and just being uh, able to sit with these pieces of ourselves that we might not want to look at, but need to look at with compassion, with curiosity. I love that. Right. You've mentioned wings already. How do Enneagram wings work? Well, if you were to map out the Enneagram, you could do it on a flat line, but it works even better as a circular approach to just look at each of the types going around a circle, if you will. So we can see the interconnectedness, mm. uh, just like our world. So people are not on a flat line, we're connected. And so when we look and go around the circle of, for instance, the type three on either side, they have a two and a four, those would be their wings. And what's nice about wings is you can use some of the behaviors for good of those types as well little more easily because, you know, if we were to put it on that spectrum around the circle, we see you're probably almost a two. You're a heart type also. And you are somebody who loves to give in it through achievement, but maybe you do have that two helper side. And we talked about you having that two helper side because you're on the other side of two with the one. And so it gives people some expansiveness to be able to move in these other areas and gifts. And maybe that three wing two person could really stand to look at their four creative side mm -hmm. and allow themselves permission to slow down and to be more thoughtful like our fours. So I love how it gives us this ability to use other gifts we may not have been using. Something that really stands out for me, Krista, is the repeated word you're using, which is gift. I know for so long I sat inside my perfectionism, feeling like it was something that was negative, feeling like it was the you are too hard on yourself or you're too, you know, stop trying to achieve for perfect. And it's that messaging around I should be getting rid of this part of me. Mm -hmm. And I think what you are really emphasizing here is that all parts of us, and you and I had talked about internal family systems on your podcast, and there's this piece where we can recognize these parts of us and see them as gifts and what they do for us rather than as something that we need to get rid of. 
Thank you for acknowledging that. Absolutely. I just hope everyone listening can really relate to the fact that you don't want to let go of your personality that is unique and you're special and you're even more, you know, nuanced than a nine type. But if we need some order in the world, which I know you can appreciate as a type one, <laughs> that it's nice to have some ordering and some nuance when we're doing our marriage work. Uh, it's nice to be able to say, you know what, there's some good to this. And I'm able, even the parts that are less healthy, I can see that I do this because I'm afraid of, like I said, the nine not being heard. If I put myself out there, will it be more confirmation that I'm not heard? And then that person's spouse can say, let me help to give you voice. Let me remind you of your power and how worthy you are. Or the type three, I have to achieve. I'm nothing if I don't. And I know my sister's a three and my dad would be so hard on her if she got an A minus, where's the A plus? And so it's, coming alongside that spouse and saying like, I love that you want to gloriously achieve, but you're loved even when you're not, even when you're not perfect. And so we can do that with our spouses or partners, or as you alluded to, within ourselves too, which is so great. You talk about the three instincts in marriage. Can you tell us what they are and how they relate to the types? Yes, this is one of my favorite pieces of Enneagram work. And it is that each of us has our own survival instincts from birth. And we actually all have all three of the ones I'm going to name briefly here. We all have a self-preserving side where we want to have fitness, wellness, home maintenance. We want to make sure that we're secure. We all have a sexual instinct where we want to allow others to find us alluring. And then we want to merge with them. We want to adventure together and keep things spicy. And then we all have this part of us that's social where we're in grouping with healthy groups so that we have, uh, we, we need a whole world to go around. And so each of us is a system of moving parts. We can celebrate group strength, especially if we've been undermined in some time in our life. So what I've noticed in couples work is that marriages are usually comprised of people that have differing instincts. And so it's terrifying at times for spouses to step out of their preferred instinct and the one that probably gets a lot of traction and maybe even overuse in most cases. And to tiptoe towards the other is a gift because you are now also, and I have been using this word a lot, but you're overly, you know, you're more expansive now. So for instance, my husband is a social one. So he really loves to help everybody and he feels never safer than when in a group helping. And he can do that all day and all night. I say he could sleep in a pile and I tend to be more self-preserving that after a long day of sessions, I want to bring order at home. I want to have joy and I really enjoy those spaces. So being together has been a really good learning for us. It's been really hard and we're white knuckling it sometimes too on a daily basis because these mm. instincts are with us at all times. I wonder if other therapists are also tapping into that self-preserve instinct. I remember in some ways giving this type of, uh, I don't want to call it education, but just the real experience to even friends, but also to Greg about what it's like in our roles in the sense of we are outpouring hour after hour after hour, our sessions are 50, 55, 60 minutes. And then yes. we have the small moment to either do notes, to respond to emails, or to even just do something for our bodies from the stories that we've just heard and that we, what we've worked through of somebody else's stuff for that yes. intense window. And then we jump into the next one. And it can be 
really beautiful work that we're doing, but then it also calls for something else outside of that, where I know for myself, Krista, I can relate to that in the sense of when I go home, I need to come into a calm space and I need to have put all of the work stuff in a box. And, you know, if Greg wants to come to me and talk about how was your day, I have nothing to talk about, <laughs> right? I need to go into that, into yeah. my my orderly inside space. <laughs> yes. And so you might, like you said, many overlays of therapists is going to be the self-preserving because mm. we are giving an outpouring in such a deep way. But what's fascinating is that Wes being a medical provider, he may have 20 patients a day, many of them crying, depressed, anxious. He's giving them the, you know, screenings for it all and diagnosing cancer. And he still wants to go hang out at night, you know, Ooh, and that comes back from his childhood when his parents were not healthy and they've grown since then, but he was able to go be with community. And so it feels so safe. And our son is the same way. And he didn't have that extreme trauma, but he's also socially wired where my daughters and I are more, uh, you know, uh, in that space of self-pres or one-to-one, the sexual instinct sometimes just called the one-to-one smaller groups. And so I think it's really helpful that we can help each other to find safety, because if you think about why people are the way they are, it is part of it, like we said, vocation, but some of it is going to be the stories we were told generationally. And I talk about this in my book. My grandmother was a survivor of the Great Depression and she was a Croatian woman who uh, was very poor. And so she made herself uh, wealthy, but she had to walk through a lot of, uh, I would say, just rejection wounds. And so she brought those into stories of, oh yes, my teacher did this to me. And she, you know, we were on the edge of our seats as kids, but her stories became part of our family narrative of we can only trust this small group. And so I was very cliquish in high school. And my husband taught me to go sit with the person who was all by themselves and to really walk with more faith that people had some goodness to them. So it's been very good for me to expand out in my instincts. It's probably my favorite area for Enneagram work in couples. Wow. So your book, I have not gone through it. It's on my list, but I can't tell you how excited I am to jump into it. And I'm thrilled. And Krista, I know that you bring so much into that because truly even just your Instagram space offers so much wisdom and knowledge and compassion for people to be able to understand who they are and how we can show up in this uh, with our gifts and also with these instincts. Okay. So similarly to that, tell us about the three conflict triads. Okay. Yeah. That is such a practical tool for somebody listening. Now, if you kind of heard yourself or, you know, your type, what I love to look at is how ones, threes, and fives like to communicate from a very logical space when they're having an argument and a discussion. And it feels like this is the way to do it. Of course, we're just going to be logical. There's a through line. We'll get there through, you know, just chatting and walking through it logically. Whereas the two sevens and nines really like to come and need to come from a space of positivity. And we know a lot of studies talk about the neurogenesis that comes from positivity. And John Gottman's work talks about five to one positives. There's truth to each of these. And then that last group, the four, sixes, and eights tend to really need and want emotional passion when they're having a discussion. So, you know, that's important because we're showing our care. We're showing our cards a little bit. And I think that's important too, to put your heart out there and say, I love you. And let's show how much we mean that. And so when we're in our regular daily lives, 
something we can do is we can integrate a little bit of positivity with logic and with that passion, and we can all show up so much better in a conflict. So I really have learned a lot through this tool, as has Wes, because when he's very logical, I can choose to meet him there and we will get farther, faster. But what usually happens when I do that, he will come in with some positivity. Whereas if I just start with my own, I'm positive, I'm a type seven, let's keep it light we're going to miss what we need to do. So it's very helpful to have at least two, if not all three in the conversation. Mm. Where do you see people getting the most stuck? Where are your couples the most stuck? If you were to let listeners know how they could understand themselves or see their stuckness, and then what could they do to start getting out of that? Most of the couples I see are not trying to ignore one another, but as you mentioned on my podcast, there are a lot of people now, this overlay of cell phone overusage and dependency for self-soothing. So that's a very basic level is how's your self-care going? And now let's look after we've assessed for some basic self-care. So out there, you know, those listening, getting your physical, emotional, spiritual self-care daily, finding your grounding practices, then looking at your types. This is where the new wants marriage work gets to come in and we can say, okay, I've got my baseline of individual and marriage care, but now I can come into this space of, oh, I'm remembering that you are that type four and you struggle with envy and melancholy. And you need that invitation to go on that walk because you probably won't do it if I don't help you here. Or you're that type eight who gets, uh, you know, really flared up about your passion projects and your justice seeking, but you might be missing the kids with all of this passion. I love how you say, you know, to be gentle with it, to be curious, but now we can do some work because we're well-regulated. Our window of tolerance is healthier. I know so many people struggle with this piece. So I love that you're saying, come into this first by looking after yourself. So let's just make that really clear for people. And it's Esther Perel who had first heard this, say this on the armchair expert with Doc Shepard saying, you know, we as parents, we're so good at giving to our kids that we don't give to ourselves and the intimacy with ourselves. And for true intimacy with our partners, we need it with ourselves first. Mm. It is such a powerful reminder because, and I can speak to this even from personal experience, And really as a first time mom, not knowing the difference, I I remember Greg and I like to joke about this now and I'll say to him, I say, oh, you look stressed out after having to do the pickup with the kids today. Would you like to go get groceries by yourself? Why don't you go out and get groceries by yourself? (laughs) We use it with humor because when I was, I think maybe three months postpartum, just having one of those days, he had said, okay, you know, just go take some time for yourself. I'll stay with our little guy. You go out, go go get groceries by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's not so if you're at the grocery store getting groceries for the family, if you go into the children's section, uh, whatever store, and then you're picking out a new outfit for your little one, if you are at the bookshop with your coffee, but then you're in the kids section thinking about that birthday party next week that your kid's going to, and you're going to pick out the book and the thing. And that's mm-hmm. not intimacy for ourselves. That is not a nurturing into who we are, our own identities. And that doesn't spark that excitement in us. Mm. And so I, I think what you're saying here, Krista, is just this importance of 
coming into our own self-care and grounding in ourselves when we recognize that we're struggling in our relationships, that oftentimes there's something we're struggling within ourselves too. Oh my gosh, it's everything just to be able to see that when our window of tolerance is down from lack of sleep, or like you said, lack of interest, lack of really taking time to refresh, we're just not going to show up as well for our spouses. We're certainly not going to be able to do the nuanced relationship personality work we need to do um, to really be thriving in our unique giftedness. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a great baseline. And even if you're just out there and you just commit to six hours a week as a couple trying to find one date night, a few breakfasts or walks a week within If you're out there trying to get these emotional, spiritual, and physical aspects of self-care, you're going to be toward the top of your Enneagram. When you mentioned strengths and areas for growth, you're going to be towards the top already just by doing that. Mm. So the question then that often comes from my community is, what if they don't want to do this work? And why do I have to be the one to do this? Whenever I get to sit with a couple's therapist, I'm always so curious how they approach this. Yeah. And I think we have different days, whereas you've mentioned before, as humans, we have to walk through this existential question too of why. And so I think that on my best days, I'm able to say, we get to do this. Like growth is such a gift. And to be able to step into it, you're going to get so much more out of your life. You're going to be better for yourself, your partnership, your world research backs us up here. So you are missing out you, not your spouse, if you don't do these things. And I think that Mm. helps people to realize, okay, because I feel annoyed with them. I'm not doing it for them, but do it for you. And then I hope that you'll also remember that you picked a good person, that they're not perfect either. We Mm. usually have that fundamental attribution error of I'm a little healthier and they're a little less healthy. And we can just acknowledge that. You know what? They're a good person too with their own story. And let's rebuild a healthier narrative that, hey, today I'm going to be the one to lead this, but I'm going to be so benefiting from it too. So I think that helps us to have that courage to say, this is for me too. I want to highlight that there. I think this might've been, I'd have to go back to check in my book. I think this might've been one of those pieces where I was telling you about where my editor had said, we can't put it all in the first book, Tracy, save it for another book. But the fundamental attribution error, which is a social psychology phenomenon, which is when someone else does something negative, we attribute it to their character. But when we do something negative, we attribute it to the situation or to context. And in the context here of relationships, how important it is for us to recognize we want to go and say, you need to change. You're so different. You're this way rather than what you just said, which was so important, which is the, hey, we chose each other at some point. There was a reason. And yes, people change throughout time and we're allowed to change, but there was this reason why you chose each other. And let's come back to that, giving each other permission and then focusing inward on what we can do. Yes. Oh, yeah. You just highlighted that so well. Absolutely. And that just gives us courage. When couples tell healthier narratives, they do better. These are the couples who are the marriage masters. So talking about your spouse and knowing here's their weaknesses and the Enneagram can help you to know those, like we said, but just to be able to say, but 
you know what? I know those, but they have strengths. And so do I have strengths and weaknesses. So we can try to influence each other slowly, but surely, but also just acknowledge the imperfections and the flaws are part of it all too, of the dance. And there's going to be, I saw from my parents long marriage and, and they're passed away now, but to see my mom carrying my dad for years. And then after my mom had her stroke to see my dad carrying her, he was the challenger, the eight for 12 years with joy and with strength after her stroke. I'm like, wow, marriage is long and people uh, can do beautiful things over the long haul together. Mm, That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that piece. There's two pieces of homework for listeners. One, they're going to grab your book. Two, they're going to revisit the story of us with their partners, of being able to retell that moment of when you said yes, or when you knew you wanted to move forward with them, or even that spark of when you met. And Yeah, I think that could be so powerful. Okay, Krista, I am so grateful for our time here together. To finish up, one last question. What is one thing that people should be doing every single day to live a meaningful life that is connected to themselves? Living with intention and start out your morning where you really allow yourself to set the course of the day and allow yourself to say, here's how I'm going to live with intention today in the most balanced way possible. And that's going to be an invitation also for some self-compassion for those many listeners who are parents to Mm -hmm. say, you know what, I'm going to be busy. So when I make a mistake, I'm going to love myself through that. Or when I struggle with maybe being hard on a child or my spouse, I'm going to give myself grace, but I'm going to take some margin in this intentionality so that I don't do that as much. And that margin is really the key word I'd like for listeners to really walk away with is start your day with this goal orientation, but also some margin so that you can gift yourself and others with a nice pace and some space so you can do all these things. Hmm. As a number one, I need to hear that there are margins there for myself. So (laughs) thank you, Krista, for that. Where can people find you, reach out to you? Where can they grab your book? Thank you. I would love you to visit my website, enneagramandmarriage.com. And if you love community building, you can come to Instagram or Facebook as well under Enneagram and Marriage. My book is in all those spots. Wonderful. Thank you, Krista, for joining us here. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. I absolutely loved Krista's emphasis on being able to align with who we are and how we can work together. And truly, this is about building in that sense of curiosity and compassion with our partners so that we can continue to feel close and connected. I love hearing from you. So I have a huge favor. Please like, review, and if possible, subscribe to the podcast. I read all of your reviews and I am so grateful for every single one of you for taking a moment to send me notes about the podcast. Did you know you can also submit to me your questions to be answered here on the podcast? You can do this on my website, drtracyd.com forward slash podcast. I love deep diving into what is happening for you right now. It's a Dear Abby column. It's not therapy, but it is a Dear Dr. Tracy. We can jump into that more. And if you haven't yet and you're looking for something different in your relationship, check out my newest resources. I have 100 questions to help you deepen your connection. It's a 
free guide for you to download and to take on your next date night or your next session where you and your partner are sitting on the couch with 10 minutes to spare in between all that you are doing. And of course, if you are working on building a sense of regulation and inner calm and learning more about your nervous system, join me in my new session. It's called Inner Calm and you can read more about learning how to attune to your nervous system, dealing with overstimulation, overwhelm, and our triggers. That's drtracyd.com forward slash system. Until next time, take good care of you and I'll see you next week. Remember this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not substitute for the care from a licensed mental health care provider. See you next week. Hey, I'm Charlene Joint, and you may remember me from season 18 of The Bachelor, and this is my husband, Andy. Hello. Together, we host Dear Shandy, a relationship podcast where we answer all your burning relationship questions and satisfy your guilty pleasure, aka bachelor needs. Not only do we provide the best bachelor recaps in all the land. So we're told. But we even bring on your favorite couples from Bachelor Nation for live double dates. Subscribe to Dear Shandy. We guarantee belly laughs, razor sharp advice, and to never take ourselves too seriously. 